You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. Thank you, guys. And again, just to echo the warm welcome Michael gave everyone, it's good to see you all. It is midterm break. A lot of people traveling and taking the opportunity to get away. But whatever Sunday of the year it is, we're always here. Because we love to gather together with the people of God and see people's lives touched and changed. So it's good to have you in. Now, I did have a question from someone after the earlier service. Um, Do you mind, uh, Diana, putting up the slide, the notices again, and the one for St. Patrick's Day? I did have a question uh, about the St. Patrick's Day slide. So see this over here, our team for the year. See this? Who can call that out for me? And that is the Irish or the Gaelic for connect with Jesus. So if you're working with Irish people, you just say to them, and they probably don't know what you're saying, but they'd be really impressed. Anyway, so means connect with Jesus, and it's our theme for the year, and we're just using that for Patrick's week as well, because it is also known as Shachtan Nguilgar, or the week of Irish. So it's, uh, we're just tapping into the culture and reaching out to people. Thank you, Diana. You can go back to the study. Today I'm going to talk and continue a talk that I was talking two weeks ago about a young girl called Esther, and we looked at chapters one and two, and today we're going to look at chapters three and four of this study. And I'm calling it Hidden Beauty. And I'm calling it Hidden Beauty uh, because beauty really is on the inside. Yeah, there's beauty on the outside. But the beauty that lasts and the beauty that has the most impact is on the inside. So in many ways, when we look at Esther's life, we can see that she had beauty. Now, let's just uh, see what we're dealing with. Esther was a girl who was trafficked, to use a modern word. She was forced into a beauty queen competition. She didn't want to do it. But she actually ends up becoming queen of a whole empire. Basically, what we'd call today Iran or the Persian Empire. She became the most powerful woman on earth. And yet, she had a very humble spirit within her. We're told in the Bible, if you were here Um, But just to remind, for those who weren't, she was stunningly beautiful. She was known for her beauty of face and figure. And even though she was a young girl, probably only about 15, the emperor decided he wanted a replacement queen. And so whether she wanted to or not, and she doesn't appear to have wanted it, she was forced into a thing called a harem. And a harem or a harem was usually four to five hundred young women kept in a secure place. And the only man who had access to them were, was the king or the emperor. And they were basically for his enjoyment, if you want to use that word. And Esther found herself in that situation. But for the first year, she was given intense beauty treatments where she bathed every day had various pastes on her body, and this basically made her skin glow and removed all blemishes. But the thing about Esther is that 
Esther had something more going on. She was a Jew. And she was, back in the Old Testament, part of the people of God. And her whole nation was basically ethnically cleansed from Israel or Palestine. And she and many of her fellow contemporaries ended up in Iran or Persia. Her parents would have been the ones to have moved and they died. However, she was raised by her uncle. His name was Mordecai. And he really is the hero of this book in the Old Testament. He's the one with great wisdom, great discernment, fantastic insight. And this man knew the time he was living in and how to wisely get through the situation they found themselves as a minority and as a people who were a little bit different in some ways than those around them because they had morality and they believed there was only one God, whereas many of the others believed there were many gods. Finally, let me quote one scripture from last time. In chapter 2, verse 15 to 17, we're told, Esther won the favor of everyone around her, and she won the favor and approval of the king more than anyone else. So Esther had incredible favor, and some people... Sadly, I think, in a very shallow way, read it and say, well, that's because she was beautiful. But of course, she was surrounded by four or five hundred other stunningly beautiful young women in that harem. So there was something more going on than beauty. There was the favor of God in her life. And God was at work in her life. And we prayed when we finished last time that you and I would have favor in our lives as well. Amen. Because we need God's favor. So Esther had all of this favor going on. So we're going to come in to, she was made the queen, replacement queen, above everyone else. And she kept her identity as a Jew hidden under the advice of her uncle because it was wiser and safer to do so. It wasn't going to be forever, but she just had to watch her time and find her way. Now, the thing about the book of Esther is that it's all about the hidden God. How many books in the Bible? Who'll tell me? 66. Of the 66 books in the Bible, this is the only book in the Bible where the name of God is never mentioned. You won't see the word Lord or God. You won't see Yahweh or Jehovah or any of the Hebrew words. You won't see this anywhere. And some people, particularly young Christians, go, oh, I don't know, is this a good book to be reading? Yes, it is, because when the Holy Spirit moved on the people of God thousands of years ago, and the Old Testament, and then later on the New Testament, was formed together, we then got what we know as the canon of Scripture. So the canon is an old uh, theological term. It means the books that were chosen to be part of the Bible. And there were books that didn't make it as well because under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, they didn't believe these were the right books. So when Esther was included, it was included for a purpose. And that is, even though the name of God isn't written, God is at work all over in the background in this fantastic account of people living thousands of years ago. And to quote a well-known phrase, Because God works in mysterious ways. So even though God wasn't um, overtly 
uh, scene in this book. He wasn't too far away at any stage. It was like he was working in the shadows. Do you know that God is at work in your life even if you don't see it? He is. He's at work in your workplace. And you mightn't see it. Or he could be at work in your street or in the apartment you share. He could be at work in your school or college. And just because we don't see him right in front of our nose doesn't mean he's not at work. As we often sing, even when I don't see it, he's working. Even when I don't feel it, he's working. He never stops. He never stops working. And so God has included this book in the canon as part of the Bible. And in my opinion and in the opinion of many biblical scholars, it is to show us that sometimes you don't have to see him right in front of our faces. He's at work in mysterious ways. And we need to have faith even if we don't see him at work. So God raised Esther up and he showed her favor. Psalm 75 says, The Lord will cause one man to be put down and he will cause another man to be lifted up and he will exalt him. So God has the power to put someone down or to lift them up. And you can look at politicians. You can look at football players. You can look at music stars, you can look at celebrities, you can look at bankers, you can look at anyone. And you can see people rising up and going down. And behind it all, God will allow people to be raised up and then he'll turn his face and he'll cause them to go down. So in the book of Esther, God is working all over and it is a prophetic symbol as it were. A prophetic book to us to show us that we shouldn't lose hope or give up faith just because we don't see it clearly. God is really at work, and the book of Esther is a testament to all of that. So I'm going to read some portions of chapter 3 and 4. Are you up for having a look at this? So I'm going to read a different portions of scripture. I can't put it all up, but as I always say, if you really want to get the benefit of this, read those two chapters at home yourself fully, and you'll get the full impact. But I'm going to put up an abridged version of the most important parts of the chapter. So I pray, Lord Jesus, would you come and would your word come alive in our souls? Nourish us, O God. Feed us today and let the word of God separate truth from lies. And help us to follow you and to be the men and women we were born to be in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, King Xerxes appointed a man called Haman as a royal official. And he became higher than all the other noblemen. The king allowed Haman to demand that all the other nobles bow down before him. But Mordecai would not bow down before Haman or show him honor. And when Haman saw this, he was furious at Mordecai and at all his race. So, remember you had an emperor. There's no democracy here. There's no parliament. You've got a dictator who could decide whether you live or die. But he did have all this, these noblemen who did different things for him. And why is it that this man, Haman, was raised up and Mordecai refused to bow down to him? 
because everyone else was. Now, we know that this guy, Haman, came from a race of people called the Amalekites. I don't have time to go into it, but this nation, the Amalekites, always, whenever they had the opportunity, would stop and try and stop the Jews, the people of God in the Old Testament, from moving forward. Even when they were coming through the wilderness and going to the promised land, they tried to stop them. People in your life will try and stop you from going on with God. I would hazard a guess there's at least 30 or 40 people in this hall this morning. And when you go out the door and you go home, or you go to school, or you go to work, there's someone talking in your ear, and he's like an Amalekite, or she's like an Amalekite, trying to stop you from going on with God. They're everywhere. There's nothing new under the sun. It's been happening for thousands of years. There will always be people who will try and stop us. And Mordecai saw through this guy and how evil he was. And so out of ethics and conscience, he refused to bow down to this guy or show him any honor. Remember what it says. The king allowed this guy, Haman, to demand they all bow down to him. And when he saw Mordecai wouldn't, he was furious. How interesting he was furious, not just at Mordecai, but at all his race. At all his race. It's like I was listening on the radio there a few days ago that in London on the underground, there was an innocent Chinese couple on the underground and some ignorant people on the train basically started shouting at them saying, don't be bringing the coronavirus here to England. And these are people born and rare to England. It's stupid racism. And this is a bit of what we see with this guy. It was racism and it was stupid and it was evil. It was evil. You see, what we're dealing with with this man is we're dealing with someone who was very proud, but equally, just as proud, he was incredibly insecure. Terrible combination. A terrible combination. Really proud and really insecure. You see, there would have been about 500 men bowing down to him, and there was only one man who wouldn't, and he was so proud and so insecure All of the so-called honor and respect he had meant nothing to him because this one guy wouldn't bow down to him. If your boss is like that, if your teacher is like that, God help you. If someone in your family is like that, it's really hard. Now, in our culture, we don't tend to bow down to one another. I know in some cultures they do. But even though we don't physically bow down to people, Some people in our lives metaphorically demand that we bow down to them. I can remember when I got married 38 years ago on this street, just up the road here in the Baptist church. I remember when we were planning the wedding, my mother-in-law told me that a friend of hers was going to travel in the main big limousine. She was going to be the first in the church and she had to sit up at the front, even though she was just a friend. And then when it came to the meal across the road here in the Metropole Hotel, she had to sit at the top table. I was astounded. I said, who is this person? And I can remember my mother-in-law saying, You have to make much of Sheila, which is Cork language for, if you don't make, if you don't really bow down to this one, there's going to be trouble. So 
you know, I wanted a quiet life. It was nothing off my nose, as it were. So this woman, you know, she was fine, like, but she came through and she was at the top of everything and she wanted all the attention and whatever. But in a way, what we were doing was we were bowing down to her because she was quite proud and she was desperately insecure. But in that situation, it was just for a couple of hours. If you're going into someone every day like this, or you're going home to someone every day like this, that's a real trial. And here we have Mordecai, who ethically and in good conscience could not bow down to this guy. And so straight away we see the evil coming out. We see his racism. We see his bigotry. We see his ignorance. And we see the evil intention of his heart. Because not only was he furious at Mordecai, he hated everyone who shared the same ethnicity as him. Haman therefore looked for a way to destroy Mordecai and all the Jews, destroy them. He then approached the king saying, there is a race of people scattered across the empire who are different from all others and who do not obey the king. It is not in the king's interest to tolerate them. So can the king please pass a law to destroy this race of people all across the empire? So the king gave his permission for all Jews to be put to death at the end of the month. And when Mordecai heard this, he and all the Jews across the empire went out mourning and wailing. We might think, yeah, yeah, this is something that happened many thousands of years ago. Can I suggest you go to Myanmar, Bangladesh today, and you'll see millions of people who suffered almost a holocaust like that. Or you visit Bosnia here in Europe, where back in the 90s, you had ethnic cleansing and people came close to death and people were forced out of their homes because they had a different faith or a different ethnicity. Or you go to Rwanda in Africa about 20 years ago where you had a genocide against a whole tribe of people because the other tribe didn't want them living there. Or you go back to Germany in the 1930s. I can keep on going. You see, there's nothing new under the sun. And when a whole people group are designated as different or other, something evil emerges in the hearts of some men and women. And that's what we're seeing here. But what did it all boil down to, as it always does? Something personal. Um, Haman just took offense that this guy Mordecai wouldn't bow down to him. What's worse is they're not living in a democracy, and so the king decides, you want to destroy them all? Destroy them all. Now, the Persian Empire was multicultural and multi-ethnic, a bit like Cork has become today. But the Jews were a little bit different, because they believed there was only one God, they had a morality, there was something different about them, and so there was war. And so we're told when he said there's a race of people who are different, they don't obey the king, please let a law be passed to destroy them all. It's shocking that a law was passed, but back then human life was very cheap, and people didn't value human life the way we do now. But I say that with a sadness in my soul because people might 
go out and protest against a genocide going on in another country. But we have another genocide now here in Ireland. And this is where we wouldn't bow down to what was happening. Because now it's okay to kill babies that are unborn in the womb. And people go, oh, well, it's just a clump of cells. No, it's not. It's a human life. You and I were that clump of cells, so-called, once. And that's why we never get political. But when it came to the abortion vote, no matter how many people are going to vote for it, we would say, and we'll come out of the closet and go, you know what? It's wrong. It's murder. And that's why I will proudly say I voted against it. And someone might go, yeah, but all the cool people voted for it. I don't care. What's wrong is wrong, and what's right is right. Hallelujah. A predecessor, or a guy who shares the same surname as me, great famous Irish philosopher Edmund Burke in the 1700s in Dublin wrote a famous saying, all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. Just do nothing. So when all the Jews were being thrown into concentration camps in Germany in the 1930s, a lot of good people just did nothing. They just kept their heads down. And that's repeated again and again and again. You see, what Haman was saying was what we today would call hate speech. Oh, there was fire in his words, but it was the fire of death, not the fire of life. It was hate speech. So we had a trafficked girl and we had hate speech. It's so important that we see scripture in the eyes of where we're living today. And we use terminology so that we can understand it. So he goes to the king as the second most powerful man. He brings all his hate speech. And the king then allows him, because of his personal insult, to destroy a whole race of people. Let's continue. So Mordecai asked Queen Esther, so that's his niece, who secretly, they don't know they're connected, to appeal this law to the king. But Esther replied that she had not seen the king for over a month, and anyone who would go up to him uninvited would be put to death immediately. The only exception was if the king lifted his golden scepter to show mercy. So, remember, they didn't know Esther was a Jew. Mordecai had advised her not to tell anyone just yet. And so he writes to her and he says, we're all going to be slaughtered. You're in a position. Can you go to the king? And Esther, as we see here, says, I haven't seen the king in a month. And if I go in and uninvited, I'll be put to death immediately. And as I was researching this, apparently there were thousands of people who tried to go to the king. And if he was in bad form, he literally would have them put to death. So everybody was terrified of going into him. Remember, this is the man who moved whole nations. He ethnically cleansed different nations. It's a bit like, if you ever study history, Stalin in the Soviet Union in the 1930s and 40s and 50s. He literally moved nations from one part of the Soviet Empire right across to Siberia. Not only that, people were afraid to go into Stalin, who was the dictator then in the 50s. And I think it was 53 or 54, Stalin had a heart attack in his bedroom 
But everyone was terrified of going into him because if you went into him unannounced, he'd have you killed. See, there's nothing new under the sun. Power corrupts and absolute power absolutely corrupts. And so Stalin, Joseph Stalin in 1953, was dying inside in his bedroom. And if he hadn't been so cruel, if he hadn't had such an attitude as this, they would have gone in and they could have saved his life. But because everyone was afraid of going in uninvited, he ended up dying in his bedroom. So he bought a curse on his own life with his cruelty. So Esther is terrified of going into the king. She could be slaughtered. However, however, she says one thing. In verse 11, the only exception is if the king lifts his golden scepter so that that per- to that person and shows mercy. What's a scepter? It's a, it's a bit like um, a big rod or a sword, I suppose, something like that. And it was golden. And if he lifted it up, and he extended, and he pointed it to you, then you would live, you wouldn't die, and he would hear your request. Can I say prophetically that God is lifting up, as it were, his golden scepter to many of us here today, and you and I are afraid to go to the boss, to go to the teacher, to go to that family member, to go to that housemate or that neighbor, Because we know they could destroy us. They could destroy our careers, destroy our future, destroy our reputation. But if God's favor is resting on you, no man can destroy anything. Hallelujah. And it's as if the king will extend or show or lift up his golden scepter to you. And so this is the hope that Esther had in her situation. And remember... She's a teenage girl. You might be 16 here and you might go, that's all for adults. Well, she was only your age. She was only 16, 17 at the most. And she's faced with this kind of stuff. So they had to grow up fast back then. There weren't really any moody teenagers back then because there was no chance for them to be moody. It, It was about survival. It was about staying alive. It was about getting through. A very difficult situation. And so finally, let's go to our last section of scripture. We're told that Mordecai wrote back to her when he heard this. Do you think that because you are in the king's palace, you alone of all the Jews will escape this holocaust? No. If you stay silent at this time, Deliverance will come from another. But you and all your family will die. Perhaps God has placed you here for such a time as this. Actually, it doesn't say God. Perhaps you have been placed here for such a time as this. God is in my head and I put it in there. I'm taken away from my point. God isn't there. Forgive me. Perhaps you were placed for such a time as this. But the implication is the same. So Mordecai is writing back to her. I find this really arresting. It's so sobering. Esther is basically saying, Uncle Mordecai, if it's okay with you, I'm going to keep my head down because I could lose my life here. I want to just be quiet and have a quiet life. I don't want to cause any trouble for myself. And Mordecai, in the same way as he refused to bow down to this evil man, 
challenges this teenage girl, this incredibly, stunningly beautiful girl of face and figure with a fantastic personality. He challenges her. And he says, do you think that because you're in the king's palace, you alone of all the Jews will escape this Holocaust? It's a bit like what I was saying about the abortion issue. Sometimes brothers, sometimes sisters, we can't stay silent. Anyone else say amen? Amen. You just can't stay silent. Sometimes you have to have the bottle, you have to have the fire in your belly to stand up and go, you know what? No, this is wrong. I remember talking to two guys out in the street there some time ago, and they said, we think Christians are living a boring life. I can tell you, we do not live a boring life. Oh, Janie, what a lie. Discovering the supernatural blessings of God, having a relationship with the one who formed us, being part of a fantastic community where we build each other up and we cheer each other on, and you call that boring? They don't know what they're talking about. But then they went on, these two fellas, this is about a year ago, and they said, We can shoot up, we can smoke dope, we can take cocaine, we're free, we're having a good time. Do you know that most of the deaths, as in dead, in Ireland, are caused by the drug situation, drug gangs and and pushers? It's, It's a huge reason for so much death in our nation that wasn't there before. Do you know that for people who take cocaine and take heroin or smoke dope, do you know that most of the people who are trafficked, it goes back to the drug industry, so-called? It's the source of so much death. You see, when we start living a life like that, we destroy our bodies and we destroy our souls. And they call that freedom. They will die an early death. They won't live long. And their lives will be destroyed. They will be broke and bankrupt. They'll never have any money. They won't have peace of mind. They won't even be able to think clearly. And they will have a stain on their soul where so many young girls and boys have been trafficked because of that so-called trade. Sometimes you just have to stand up. Sometimes when everyone is saying it's okay to kill a baby in a mother's womb so she can have a choice... Sometimes we just have to say, no, it's not. There's something really wrong in our society when we're going on like that. And and so this challenge that Mordecai has to Esther, can I suggest and submit to you, has a resonation for us today because our culture today is we don't get involved. When I was a kid here in Cork, if someone was in trouble, you went over and you helped them. But today someone is in trouble, kind of we don't want to get involved in anybody's business and we don't want to seem seem to be rude and we kind of leave people alone and it's kind of gone the other extreme. And I know there's wrong in both extremes, but sometimes today you just have to stand up and go, you know what, no. And so Mordecai challenges her. She's not going to escape. You and I won't escape because life is short. It's so short. The time is gone like that. And then we will stand before the Lord. No, if you stay silent now, deliverance will come from another. But you and all your family will die. By the grace of God, none of my family in that way are going to die. 
by the grace of God, none of your family are going to die. Who'll say amen? If we are people of morality and of ethics, and we're okay to stand up for the Lord. See what he says here? This is powerful. If you don't want to speak up, God will raise someone else. Deliverance will come from another. I can go through probably 48, 49 situations in the church here where over the years someone had to pull out of ministry very often for understandable reasons, sometimes for not very good reasons. And Mike and myself have gone, gosh, how are we going to fill that gap in the church? Where are we ever going to get someone who can help us in this area? I declare in every one of those situations, God raised up someone else. Hallelujah. If something is missing from your life or if someone is refusing to do or to go somewhere that you know is the right thing to do, you know what? Let them go because God will raise up someone else. I remember talking to someone whose son rejected them many years ago. The son had rejected them. This man's heart was broken, but God gave him a promise prophetically that even though his own son didn't want anything to do with him, and it really, I don't think it was the father's fault at all. The son was just in his own head. God said, I will raise up other sons, spiritual sons for you. And that man's life was so fulfilled, helping others. You see, we may think we hold all the cards, or an individual in your life might think they hold all the cards. But God is far higher than that. God will raise up others. Sometimes we have an exalted opinion of what we can and can't do. If we say no to God, that's our choice. But God will pass over us and he'll move to someone else. And Esther was faced with this reality full on. And she knew it was time for her to say, okay, I'm not going to hide. I'm not going to stay in the closet. I'm going to put my life in the line. We're going to look at that next time I'm talking about, but let me conclude with this. Forgive me, I put the name of God in, even though it's not there, because to me, God is there, but it's there in the background. This final verse, verse 14, perhaps God has placed you here for such a time as this. It actually says, perhaps you have been placed here for such a time as this. But the implication is the same. You're here for such a time as this. And God is behind it. So brothers and sisters, as we come to an end and come to a conclusion, we've got another 10 minutes. We want to just do some ministry. Here are my two calls. First of all, is there a Haman in your life? Is there someone in the family, or a neighbor, or a house share, or a boss, or a supervisor, or a co-worker, or a teacher, or some big personality in the school, the list is endless, who has something dark in their soul, and who is trying to stop you from moving forward, like all that Amalekite nation did to the Jews? Is there someone like that in your life? Well, God will deliver you. Hallelujah. And we can pray today that God will raise you up and keep you safe from anyone like that in your situation. That's my prayer for my life. And I pray it'll be your prayer for your life. And one other application. Are you here for such a time as this? Maybe geographically, God moved you to Ireland for such a time as this. Maybe you're in this church today 
for such a time as this. Maybe you're working in your office or factory for such a time as this. You're in that school. You're in that university or college. You're in that house share. You're on that street. You know where I'm going at. God just has us in different situations for such a time as this. So we're going to pray against the power of any Haman. And we're also going to pray, God, give me wisdom and courage and strength to do what you've called me to do for such a time as this where you have placed me. Can we stand and can we put up the words of the last song we sang, which is King of My Heart. I love the chorus where it says, you're never going to let me down. Do you hear me? God is never going to let you down. Let's pray that that will happen. We're going to sing and then we'll pray. Sophia, let the king of my heart. Let the king of my heart 